millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Welcome to Neon, the podcast that takes pop culture and reveals the real history lying just below the surface. I'm Jem Daduchu, and this time on Neon, I'm giving you two for the price of one, because we're going to be looking at two historical musicals, The Greatest Showman and Hamilton which means that we have to start looking at things like historical accuracy, the 19th century political scene in America, and also ethics. Lots and lots of ethics in this one, because we are about to unbundle a whole bunch of complicated and sensitive subjects in this particular neon. So just before we get started, don't forget to like Share, subscribe, give us a review on whatever podcasting app you're listening to us on. If you want to have a conversation with us, we're neonpodcast.com. Funnily enough, we're also Neon Podcast on Twitter and Facebook. And as I'm called Jem Daduchu, you won't find it very hard to find me as Jem Daduchu on Twitter. You've been here for three and a half hours. How many different ways do you want me to tell the same story? Notice anything unusual about Santa Carla yet? No. It's a pretty cool place. I'm impressed. How many questions does it usually take to spot? As your leader, I encourage you from time to time, and always in a respectful manner, to question my logic. Now to run a computer check on this tape and the professor. Dodge this. The tracks go off in this direction. Let's get into the actual musicals that we're talking about. One was a hit smash hit and some would argue a surprise smash hit. So that's The Greatest Showman. And the other one is awards dripping. Let's use that phrase. Just it, it could almost drown in the amount of accolades that it's had. Musical theater piece 
called Hamilton. Now, they are kind of different. The reason why this is the first time I'm actually putting both of the, I've got two things in the same neon, is because I don't think everybody's gone out and seen Hamilton. You can't. It's only in selected theatres, in selected cities. So, yeah, I figured let's put this with Greater Showman, and also I think it's an interesting conversation to have because I am aware, I have said in the past on this podcast, that what you have to do is look at how serious is this piece of pop culture taking history in the first place. So if we take something like Braveheart or Saving Private Ryan, both of those have trappings of we've done our homework. This is basically a very entertaining documentary. Don't worry, trust us, we've got the history right. Now, one of those does, and one of those really doesn't. Let's not worry about that, okay? Instead, I'm going to say, look, if you're watching a piece of entertainment and suddenly everybody is bursting into simultaneous song, dance, and choreographed routines, that's not reality. If it is your reality, I want to be in that reality. Okay, thank you. Please share it. <laughs> we all need a little bit more song and dance in our lives. But the point is, it's clearly heightened. It's fun. And therefore, if we start saying, hmm, Greater Showman hasn't taken its history very seriously, I think you're being too harsh. But it occurred to me, because, full disclosure, I haven't actually seen Hamilton yet, but I do have the soundtrack. What it suddenly occurred to me, because I had these two soundtracks playing basically back to back in the car, is one of them does take its history pretty seriously, and the other one's gone, eh, let's just put on a great big show. Let's throw glitter in your eyes, shall we? And neither of those are wrong. If you are trying to fire up a musical to understand history, you're doing it wrong. A little bit like how Oliver, the musical version of Oliver Twist, that isn't really an accurate representation of poverty in 19th century London, okay? So, let's break things down a little bit. I first became aware of Hamilton the Musical when I was writing my book, The American Presidents in a Hundred Facts. My publisher, Ambly Publishing, have occasionally come to me and said, there's a commemoration coming up, or there's a thing coming up, so can you write something quick and get it out in time for X time. Now, I've always thought that's a bit weird. You'd think history has a sell-by date, really? There are deadlines in history? But I've ended up writing two of their 100 fact books against strict deadlines. I did The Napoleonic Wars in 100 Facts, and that had to come out in 2015, just before the 200th anniversary of the Battle of Waterloo, because people are talking about that that period then, and that's a good time to perhaps sell books. Same thing, year later, with the American presidents and 100 Facts, they went, Jem, you know, you did a good job last time. Can you do one of these sort of short, succinct books about all the American presidents, because everybody's talking about the 2016 election? And it does mean, full disclosure, if you want to get either of those books, they are still available, and I think they're really good snapshots, introductions to those sorts of topics, and then you can build your knowledge from there. But if, you're, if you just want to know a bit about all the American presidents, or a bit about, you know, who is this Napoleon, and what's Waterloo all about and all this stuff, 
those are perfect books for you. But here's the thing. I had to get it out in time for the 2016 election. So full disclosure, although all of it is history up until the last paragraph, I actually made a judgment as to, hmm, this is what I think will happen in the 2016 election. So if you want to find out whether I am a soothsayer able to peer into the future and uh, predict presidential elections, well, you might see that, or you might see me make a complete fool of myself. Sorry, you'll have to buy the book to find that out, okay? However, within uh, The American Presidents and 100 Facts, what became obvious to me pretty quickly is I had to be very careful about which stories I told, or I would end up with 200 facts, 300 facts, etc. And so you came to people like Alexander Hamilton and Aaron Burr, who was the vice president um, in, in, at the same time as Hamilton was doing various things. We'll, we'll, we'll come on to that, I, I promise, okay? But... Now, what I found interesting is, if you don't know, uh, Hamilton is a musical that was created by Lin-Manuel Miranda. And what happened was he's a bit of a musical genius. And he was he, he, he was short a book. I've heard him sort of tell this story. He was short a book and he was in an airport and he thought, hmm, I don't know anything about Alexander Hamilton. There seems to be a biography of him there. I'm going to sit down and read it. And this is the bit where I know my brain doesn't think Anything like Lin-Manuel Miranda's, because when I was reading up on Hamilton, I was sitting there going, this is fascinating. What an interesting guy who lived in a really interesting time. And Miranda did think that, but then added to it, wouldn't it make a great musical? Now, that would never have crossed my mind in a hundred years, okay? So, well done, Lin-Manuel Miranda, for thinking, I'm going to turn all this into a kind of hip-hop musical, and it works. It works incredibly well. As I said, you know, it's almost drowning in the amount of awards that it's had. And look, Hamilton does play fast and loose a little bit, not so much with history, but with perhaps the tone of things, and actually because it is a two-hour-odd musical, it has the time to explain some of these lesser-known areas, like the fact that after the American War of Independence, the temptation is to think that America was this sort of sea of tranquility, and ooh, everything was awesome once we kicked the British out. But actually, no, it lurched from financial disaster to whiskey riots and uh, violence and actual sort of rebellion over whiskey taxes. All this was sort of happening um, sort of just after the, the war with Britain. And actually, Hamilton does go into this. But perhaps the most plum role in the whole of Hamilton, apart from Alexander Hamilton, of course, could arguably be George III. Now, I think that I've listened to the soundtrack, and this is a personal opinion of mine, okay? I think the best track in the whole thing is this wonderful, if you listen to the tune, you think, oh, it's a beautiful little love song. But if you listen to the lyrics, it's kind of evil. And it's basically George III saying how he loves America so much he's going to send a battalion of troops in to remind them of his love. And 
I'm clearly not uh, in the minority on this because uh, apparently the role of George III, because I mean, look, he's, he wasn't, he never went to America. He wasn't part of this uh, war, really. But, you know, he was the figurehead, the, the monarch in Britain. Apparently, he's only in the play for maximum 10 minutes, but he has this marvelous song and reprisal of it, which led to the actor Michael Gibson winning the Olivier Award this year, 2018, for Best Actor in a Supporting Role in a Musical, which must have annoyed everybody else in Hamilton, apart from the person playing Alexander Hamilton, because, come on, 10 minutes work? That's that's almost uh, Silence of the Lambs level stealing of scenes when you had Anthony Hopkins in the movie for about 25 minutes in Silence of the Lambs and yet winning Best Actor. He, he didn't even have the most lines of any male in the movie, but, you know, he absolutely dominated the film. There's, he didn't steal it. It was it was his by right. It's an amazing genre, era-defining role in that. Anyway, so my point is, that's Hamilton. Hamilton does exaggerate things. Clearly nobody actually sang or rapped any of this stuff. But if you sit there, and I find this interesting, my children are sitting there and learning about revolutionary America and post-revolutionary America and things like whiskey taxes. Spoiler alert, by the way, uh, later on I will be telling you how Alexander Hamilton dies, okay? Um, this is about 200-year-old information, so, you know, you've had your chance to find out about Hamilton, but I will come to that later. So all that is Hamilton. Let's jump over to The Greatest Showman, starring the wonderful Hugh Jackman. It seems everybody thinks that he's just the nicest guy in Hollywood. And, you know, if you don't like him Wolverine, come on, what about Les Mis? He, you know, he's always good value for money. And he does seem to be a genuinely nice guy whenever he's being interviewed. So... When he, he comes from a musical theatre background, uh, there's The Boy from Oz, which I think he won an Olivier Award for as well. It was on Broadway and got huge amounts of compliments on that. In the original Beauty and the Beast live stage version, he played Gaston. He tells a wonderful story about how he deliberately wet himself to hit a high note on stage. Anyway, the point is, if you just know him as Wolverine, that isn't Hugh Jackman. You know, the man has got music in his blood too. And clearly when somebody came to him saying, look, you're hanging up the Wolverine claws. Do you want to go into a full-on musical? You know, you've done Les Mis. You even got nominated for an Oscar for well, Best Actor for in Les Mis. Um, he lost out to Daniel Day-Lewis. Can you feel too hard done by in that situation? But anyway, the point is he went for it and everybody involved with The Greatest Showman went, let's put on a show. Because if there's one thing that Phineas Taylor Barnum, P.T. Barnum, you can understand why he just stuck with P.T., uh, Phineas Taylor Barnum liked was a show. And in that respect, there can be no doubt that even though Barnum died a little over 100 years ago, he would watch this movie and applaud it. This is exactly what he would want. As it says in the movie, he goes, I'm inventing show business. And he kind of did. But this is where we need to pause for a moment. And I said ethics, okay? Apart from the fact that P.T. Barnum worked with a number of people with birth defects and created a very famous circus, and he was called P.T. Barnum, that's about it in terms of historical accuracy. 
And I don't have a problem with that because we're talking about a man who spent his entire life gazumping people, tricking people, sort of say, throw glitter in their eyes. The more we, glitter we throw in their eyes, the better. Ah! You know, and that's what the movie does. So it keeps in the spirit of the guy. But if you want to learn anything about the man, that ain't there at all. And actually, it might want to lead to some proper conversation about this because P.T. Barnum basically lived through, ju just like Hamilton was both pre-revolution and post-revolution, Barnum was pre-freedom uh, pre of slaves and civil war and post-slavery. So, yeah, Barnum owned a slave. Now, he didn't own one to run a cotton plantation or anything like that. This particular black woman looked incredibly old, and she was billed as the oldest woman on alive who was over 160 years old. Now, like with a lot of Barnum's things, what he did was, is he got somebody who had some kind of birth defect or disability. I am going to use the parlance of the age here, and I apologize in advance, but you probably know what I mean when I say freak show. Well, Barnum didn't invent freak shows, but what he did was he he was the Steve Jobs of entertainment. People say about Steve Jobs, he was as, as great a designer and creator as somebody like Leonardo da Vinci. Look at all the things da Vinci created and look at all the things that Jobs created. Jobs didn't create any of it. He didn't create downloadable music. He didn't create the home computer or the tablet, the iPad. No. And I am aware, by the way, the irony that I'm recording this on an Apple product and I'm holding an iPad in my hand just so I can check some notes on these things. So don't get me wrong. I, li I like Steve Jobs and his products too. But he didn't create any of those things, whereas Da Vinci arguably did create some of these things. But what he did was he got somebody else's idea and went, yeah, you, you've only taken that halfway. I'm going to take it all the way. Oh, and I'm going to get it designed so that it doesn't just become a thing, but it becomes a desirable thing. And that's what Barnum did, really, with the idea of the traveling entertainers. You know, you go back to the Middle Ages era, you get things like wandering minstrels. That's something that predates the creation of America, okay? But interestingly, what was happening at the time of Barnum and I'll sort of go into this in a little bit more depth a bit later on, is as he went on in his career, transportation and logistics improved as well, which allowed a number of entertainers to become more elaborate in what they had to do. Suddenly we had trains crisscrossing America, so you could hire an entire train carriage, fill it in with your staff, put it in the entertainers, and also the sets and things like that, so they become more and more elaborate, and he recognised that. But... Hugh Jackman is a gorgeous specimen of manliness. How do I know that? Well, he's not my type. Um, I'm a happily married man. But my wife is, you could argue, not a happily married woman because she certainly does go on about Hugh Jackman a fair bit and I can't compete. But I do implore you that if you do a Google search, an image search for P.T. Barnum, you're going to get a guy which I'm comfortable in saying I'm prettier than, okay? Barnum was not a looker. Hugh Jackman is. But also, Hugh Jackman isn't far off the kind of age Barnum was when he was, he was already into his entertainment time when you see Barnum 
in sort of learning the tricks of the trade in the movie. But actually, the circus bit, you already had the freak show, but the circus bit in particular didn't come till much, much later. That was sort of the last 20 years of his life, if that even. So there is no timeline that you can overlap. And actually, it's just simpler to say that it's pretty much all made up because it's quicker that way than just say, oh, and then there's this and then there's that. However, it is worth mentioning some of the interesting things that swirled around him. Back to this slave. So although he bought her. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. <laughs> And look, there's no mitigation for slavery. Slavery's bad, okay? We can all agree on that. I'm going to argue that what happened after she died was even worse. She wasn't ill-treated. He made sure that, you know, she, she basically, her role was to sit in a chair and look old. It wasn't a hard gig by any standards. And actually, a lot of the people who worked with him with these birth de defects and disabilities, they were well paid. In modern terms, some of them were earning thousands of pounds a week. And if they weren't with Barnum, the question has to be, what were they going to do with their lives? You know, they were going to be laughed at and mocked at. And indeed, in the movie, it says, well, they're already laughing at you. You might as well earn some money. And that, I don't know if that was specifically what Barnum says. And you have to be careful with Barnum because there are a lot of things that are attributed to him. Like there's one born every minute or there's a sucker born every minute. That's attributed to him. But the more you look into it, it's like nobody can actually link that to him. It's certainly the way he operated but we don't know if he ever actually said that. So, yeah, so this particular slave woman, I when she died, he then had an autopsy of her. There was such interest in seeing the autopsy of the oldest woman in the world. And actually, he knew that she wasn't as old as 160 and guessed that she was probably in her 80s. And that's what the autopsy showed. But here's the thing. The autopsy was performed in front of 1,500 paying members of an audience. This is how immoral or amoral Barnum was. That somebody that he owned when they died, he knew he could make more money out of their corpse. That dark and nothing like that 
is in The Greatest Showman. You know, they show him as a cheeky hustler rather than somebody like that. Okay, right. So what I also wanted to point out to you is there was this figure in the movie, and indeed this was clearly one of his favourite acts, was a, a, a very, very short man called Tom Thumb. Now, actually, he was about eight years old when he first met Tom Thumb and he had a, a major hereditary illness that meant that he, I mean, he was like 24 inches tall when he first met him. And basically he was still a child, but he told everybody that he was like 12 years old, so it made him look even smaller. But Tom Thumb didn't grow much as he grew up, and so General Tom Thumb, he made sure that he was dressed in the finest clothes and little uniforms and made to look like Napoleon, you'll see photos, and you might think that they're, um, what's the word, sort of altered or CGI, but don't forget that this is all well before this kind of stuff was capable. Genuinely, Tom Thumb was a very, very small man. Think something like Mini-Me in the Austin Powers movies. And he was phenomenally successful, and he actually married a woman of reduced stature as well, but of course, Barnum, being Barnum, made sure that when they got married, tickets were sold. It was sold as an event thing, and you know, everybody, you know, the 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 vicar was a well, priest, whatever you want to call it, um, minister was also somebody of reduced stature. So basically, you have the best man and the bride, and everything. everybody is very very small, and everybody sort of applauding them. They had fine silks on. It was a beautiful wedding dress. But this is all cynical to sell tickets, make no mistake about it, okay? Then you also have somebody like Isaac Sprague, who was called the Living Skeleton. He actually had a horrific muscle uh, re reducing and wasting disorder, says Jem, proving he's not actually a doctor or scientist. But if you see pictures of him, you're going to think these are also mocked up. They weren't. And he actually ha had to carry around with him a can of condensed milk just to keep his energy up. He was always on the brink of collapsing. And it's a very sad story. But again, Barnum, look, Barnum was not a charity. Barnum was in it for the money. But he recognized that there were people with such unique defects and deformities that he paid them well. And actually, the type of illness that Isaac Sprague had you tended to die in your 20s. It was You were unlikely to live beyond that. And the fact that he died in his 40s shows that he was well looked after and they kept an eye on him at all time. Nice, but he was charging people to come and see, come and have a look at the human skeleton. That's probably not the worst one. You may recall that during the Olympics, the Summer Olympics of 2016, there was some debate about whether people should be going to Brazil because of the Zika virus. And this particular virus, while it didn't attack you, could lead you to having birth defects. And the most notable one is a reduced cranial size. Now again, I'm going to use the 19th century insensitive term for this, because then you'll know what I mean, but obviously it's staggeringly offensive, and that is pinhead. So they got very small heads, and obviously with a reduced cranium, that means the brain isn't the right size, and these people tend to have like the cognitive and mental ages of like a nine or ten year old, and they never really go beyond that, and they are very mentally disabled.
Very sad story, and I'm sorry to tell you this, Barnum got his hands on a black man who had this illness. Well, he didn't specifically have Zika, but he did have the reduced cranial size. And he did pay the guy, but he did also make him dress up in furs, put him in a cage, and show him, show him off as the missing link between man and ape. He's using a mentally disabled black man as, first of all, a fake scientific discovery, but just, I, you know, I don't know how much more I can go on with you. So, whereas Miranda was reading Hamilton and going, well, this could be a song and that could be a song, I don't know what the makers of, and to be fair, Hugh Jackman did not make The uh, Greatest Showman, he sort of produced it and starred in it, but he didn't write it. Um, I don't know what the writers were thinking, because they must have known these stories and thought, yeah, well, that's too dark and that's too dark. Well, look, if it's all too dark, bleak and manipulative, maybe... Just maybe you should just come up with, seeing you're making the rest of it all up, why not just make the name up as well? And then you can, it's just a little less offensive, I'm going to say. And then we perhaps come to the signature moment of Kiala Settle playing Letty Lutz in the, in the movie Greater Showman. Uh, Jem, who's this? What's this? Um, okay, okay. This is the bearded lady. And the song This Is Me is, the let it go of the greatest showman. And of course, he did have a bearded lady for real. Her name was Josephine Clofulia. I don't know why she couldn't, why they couldn't have kept the lady's name as Josephine. That's a good name to have. Um, and if you see photos of her, I mean, you could type in P.T. Barnum bearded lady and you'll probably get there. There is a type of, again, birth defect, which leads to excessive hair growth on the face. And that's exactly what she had. Being sort of savage about it for a moment, what the image you probably have of like a caveman, that's what these people tend to look like. You, their, their eyes aren't covered up with hair and probably the upper parts of their cheeks, but the rest of their face is very, very hairy. Indeed, the rest of their body is too. That's exactly what this woman had. And she was from Switzerland and she certainly didn't sing. And, you know, look, it's a great song. It's an amazing performance, and apparently, according to Hugh Jackman, this was the role, and this was the song. They recognised this. This is the song. So there are a number of famous singers in Hollywood who wanted that role, and she came out and she, in, in the audition because they were trying to show the, the the makers of potential backers of the film. This is what we want to do. So this sort of unknown singing actress came out and just went for it. And they went, yeah, yeah, she, she can stay in. She's absolutely the bearded lady. But she's a very pretty lady, uh, just with a stick on beard. Uh, and unfortunately, it's a more complicated than that. If you look at the real woman, she wasn't actually known for singing. Now, a number of his acts were singers and dancers and things like that. But sometimes it was just spectacle, just a chance to come and see something you haven't seen before. For example, Jumbo the Elephant, an extremely large, I mean, elephants are big anyway, but Jumbo, this is where we get the term, Jumbo was a real name for a real elephant, and he was really big, and uh, he was originally, well, originally he was from Africa, but I believe he came over to Britain, and eventually, when Barnum heard about him, had him shipped over to America, because he knew he could make a buck out of him, and indeed, when you had the opening of the suspension bridge at New York, there's the question of like, you know, there'd been deaths building it and it's like, is it safe? And so as a public, 
a record or a chance to reassure the public for a fee, he got his entire circus, led by Jumbo the Elephant, to march over the bridge, the Brooklyn Bridge, and so everybody knew that it was safe. So if you want to argue that Barnum was ahead of his times and, and did a lot of good in society, I'm going to turn around and say, yeah, look, those things are there, but you cannot ignore the dark, dark stuff. And no, he was darker than just a slightly cheeky entertainer, okay? The other thing I wanted to say, and this is a really sad one about the wonderful world of P.T. Barnum, is he dealt with animals, as I've just said. There's an elephant involved in that one. But he also had a bit of a fixation with whales. Not the country. I'm talking about the marine mammals, okay? And actually, he got through quite a lot of them because... We are talking about the 19th century here, and there was an understanding that seawater was salty, but he couldn't understand what this, exactly what the levels of salination were. Now, clearly, capturing whales and holding whales, this is expensive. He wanted to invest the money. But when he realized the two first pair of whales ever in captivity to be shipped around at a sort of freak show type circus event thing, when he realized the whales were dying because he couldn't get the salination right, he sold tickets with posters saying, quick, come and see them before they die. Nice. Then, you in the movie, there's the fire. Actually, if they wanted to make it more accurate, they should have had a bunch of fires, because they happened a number of times, and in one of these fires, maybe you should think about this, if you watch The Greatest Showman on DVD, have this in the back of your mind, at the back of this theatre, you, you know, don't see this, but this has absolutely happened for real, he got another two whales, and he was doing well with them, they were alive, and then there was a fire, you can't move whales in the middle of a fire, okay, so basically, they boiled to death. Nice. I'm sorry, I can't come up with particularly nice stories about P.T. Barnum. He wasn't a lovely, lovely man, okay? As soon as his first wife died, and he was a pretty old man by at this point, as soon as his f uh, first wife died, he pretty much immediately remarried. Does this mean he had an affair? Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. But, you know, there wasn't a lot of mourning going on either. Come on, P.T. Anyway... Let us sort of finish off, because what I want to say is Barnum, in a way, started, because he was early compared to some of these other people, but he started this big era of renaissance in things like magic, for example. You have people like Houdini. Little shout out there to Greg Chapman, who's going to love me sort of saying that at that point. Uh, he's known as Condensed Histories on, on the internet. You might want to check him out. He's an escapologist too. Uh, escapologist, apologies. Anyway, the point is that when you get to somebody like Houdini and some of these other big event magicians and escapologists and entertainers, they were using trains. They were using steamships to ship all their kit around. If they had been born a hundred years earlier, nobody would have heard of them. There would still have been newspapers, they could have still promoted themselves, but these big, huge event-type moments. See, the idea is, and we, we've lost this now with the internet, the cinema is, if you like, the last remaining element of this, where people went out of their way to go and see a thing en masse. And when Blah came to town, everybody wanted to see Blah before Blah moved on to the next town or city. So it was 
catch it while you can. And I suppose sporting events are a little bit like this as well. But on a Saturday night, you might well go to the theatre or to vaudeville or to see a magician or to the cinema. Whereas now there are a lot of people who just sit there and stream. And uh, yes, I'm one of them, but I still go to the cinema. And there are moments where I'm sitting there thinking, I'm paying £10 to see this movie now. Or I could just wait six months. This movie may not be worth seeing it in the cinema. I could wait six months and just get it on Sky or Netflix or Amazon. It's all part of the package. So, yeah, you know, but the the idea and when you think about it, all movie advertising is basically it's got to be seen on a big screen. Catch it while you can, you know, see it before everybody ruins the big twist of dot, dot, dot. So there we go. That That's showmanship, show business. And I said I would finish on a little bit of a, of a spoiler about Hamilton and how it ends, because Hamilton was never actually president of anything. He founded basically the, the Bank of America. He set up the financial fiscal processes and things like that. He, he was a statesman. He was a political philosopher. And he was, turned out to be quite the economist as well and banker. However, he had quite the spat with Aaron Burr, who was the then vice president of the United States. And actually, one of the other things that Hamilton did was he bought a newspaper and he made it his goal to just constantly mock and taunt Burr in this newspaper. So eventually, Burr said, I demand satisfaction. And they had a duel. This isn't swords. This is pistols, by the way. And Burr shot and mortally wounded Hamilton, the sitting vice president of the United States of America, murdered somebody and he was never even taken to court. So the next time you start having a go about politicians, you might want to think about that for a moment. But by the way, Burr, who I do call in my book, The Amer American Presidents and 100 Facts, the most dangerous vice president in history. And I stand by that. So A, he killed a man and there were witnesses. And B, after his vice presidency, when he was obviously thinking perhaps about what to do next, he started buying up a lot of land in central Texas. And it seems, and this is highly debated, but it seems he wanted to set up his own country. And so he was taken to court this time round for high treason. Eventually, the case was dropped. But this obviously somewhat ruined Aaron Burr's reputation. And so consequently, he never really went any further in his political career. But there we go. A vice president of the United States who killed a man and was tried for high treason. Okay? Remember that. I'm not saying that current politicians are lovely people, uh, but let's put it into context for a moment, shall we? Right. Moving on. Let's, let's say no more than that. This is Neon's take on Hamilton the Musical and Greatest Showman the Musical and the fact that Hamilton... I'm going to say well done for its history. And Greatest Showman, I'm going to say well done for following in the footsteps of P.T. Barnum. But shame on you when it comes to actual historical information and facts and people's lives we're talking about there as well. OK, if you enjoyed this, I absolutely encourage you to continue the conversation. You might even want to throw out some ideas. Can we do a neon on this? Can we do a neon on that? So you can find us on neonpodcast.com. You can also find us on Twitter and Facebook as just Neon Podcast. 
Whatever you're listening to this on, please, please subscribe and give us a five-star review. It all helps to spread the word. If you want to talk to me, I'm Jem Daduchu on Twitter. You can just ask me questions or say, can you do a neon on this or that? I will answer, I promise. Thanks very much for listening. You're going to get more neon goodness sometime soon. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.